Hello, Acaville fans. Welcome to Tacapella, Acaville Radio's weekly radio show. I'm your host, John Lampus, here on episode number 12, which is really fun because we're finally in the double digits, but it's just now hitting me. And today I'm joined by a guest that I'm so excited to have on, my former voice teacher, Dr. Don Padula. Hello, hello. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I'm going to just can try and control myself because Dr. Padula has been the guest I wanted on the show for so long and I'm really freaking excited. Dr. Padula was my voice teacher at the University of Puget Sound for four and a half years which is a lot of John time so you know she made it out still sane which is which is an achievement on its own and Dr. Padula has a long history of everything musical and acapella and voice. So, um, Dr. P, would you mind just telling the listeners a little bit about your career, what you do, and that that whole spiel? Okay, well, um, I am currently the Director of Vocal Studies at the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma, Washington. Um, prior to that, I was, uh, um, well, first of all, at, at my job, I, um, I run the voice department, so I I teach voice, I administer the voice department, um, and I teach all of the voice-related classes that includes uh, vocal diction, so Diction for Singers 1, which is English and Italian diction, and then Diction for Singers 2, which is German and French diction, and then I also uh, teach vocal pedagogy, um, and I have taught also uh, vocal techniques, and uh, vocal pedagogy is aimed towards uh, singers, so... That's people who are um, majoring in vocal performance and or music education with a choral emphasis. And then uh, vocal techniques is a class where I teach instrumentalists a little bit about voice and about teaching voice, getting them ready to teach um, choir and in the classroom. And then uh, prior to my job at the University of Puget Sound, I was in Texas. Um, I was at the University of uh, Sam Houston State University, which is in Huntsville, Texas, which is north of Houston. And um, <clears throat> there I ran the opera program. I should say I also ran the opera program at University of Puget Sound. Um, there I ran the opera program. I also taught voice. I taught pedagogy. Um, and I was also an affiliate artist where I taught voice um, and other little small classes at the University of Houston Moore School of Music. Um, and I was associated with that school because that's where I received my doctorate in vocal performance and also uh, with a minor concentration in vocal pedagogy and voice science. And then prior to that, I went to the Manhattan School of Music for um, my master's degree in New York City. And my undergraduate degree, I have two degrees. I have an undergraduate degree in vocal performance and then one in communications. Uh, it's like radio, TV, film, communication. And that's from Trinity University in San Antonio. And, um, but my first year of school, I actually went to Wellesley College um, and I transferred to Trinity in my sophomore year. And at Wellesley College is when I was in the Wellesley Widows. Um, yay. Yay. And, um, and it was, you know, East Coast acapella, which is kind of like where it all seemed to have begun. And it was pretty hotbed for uh, acapella at the time. Um, and then prior to that, in high school, I was in an all-girl, um, it was called the Triple Trio, and it was um, nine girls, and we did uh, everything from Renaissance music to 40s music to um, Dickens carols, to that kind of that kind of stuff, so we were technically an acapella group, but it was, you know, we kind of were multi-functional. Mm -hmm. 
So that is my spiel, my history. That is the longest list of qualifications <laughs> I think I've had on the show and the longest list we'll probably ever have. Great. So <laughs> I know. Mm-hmm. So the Wellesley Widows, mm-hmm. Dr. Pula, so you were a member of that group for one year? Right, because that was the only year that I was out. Yeah, Wellesley. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a really well-known group, a group we really love here at the station. And I just think um, the listeners and myself, because I really want to know this stuff, uh, would just like to know what your time was like in that group. Because they're, I mean, when that's, I think of East Coast Acapella, I think of the Widows, I think of that whole scene. And then you also had mentioned before you had like met Deke Sharon when he was just getting up and going. So if you want to give us like a little history lesson on this being at a place where it was the scene was really getting going and you were at the um, kind of crossroads and um, nexus point for all this yeah. amazing stuff. I, we would love to hear it. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I I didn't know much about acapella um, going into school. And um, when I got there, they had something, I guess, what, uh, you know, like a kind of a, a bunch of orientation events, obviously, like most schools. And then one night in particular, all of the acapella groups on the Wellesley campus performed. And so it was the Widows. Um, there was a group called the Tupelos. And there was a group co- called the Blue Notes. And of course, it being an all, um, in, in all uh, female college, um, we, it was, the groups were, you know, were all trouble. And mm-hmm. um, we, uh, so I listened to all of them and I thought they were all pretty cool. Uh, I particularly liked the Widows and I also liked the Tupelos and um, they were advertising basically for audition spots, for spots. And so um, I signed up for auditions for both the Widows and the Tupelos. So like when you're choosing between those, when you're choosing groups, cause I think this is something that's really applicable to a lot of, you know, we're getting, we're in July now, there's going to be a ton of incoming freshmen on college campuses everywhere. And, and I'm going to be in the same position going to grad school, looking at acapella groups. Um, I'm curious as, you know, a refined scholar, a doctorate, all this stuff, your experience, just looking at these groups, looking at the three groups from the beginning and one obviously of them being a great experience and one you were accepted into, what were the things that popped out why why'd you choose uh one or the, over the other why'd you choose the widows and the tupelos over the other group or why were you mainly interested in the widows because i think that is a situation a lot of group leaders right now or i i think about i thought about that all the time how can i make my group pop out how can i get the attention of the right people and i'm wondering um with such a rich musical background what what popped out to you what made you go that way essentially Oh, well, I mean, for me, just listening to the performances that night, um, it's kind of just, I guess, the the quality and the, the power that was coming from mm-hmm. the group. Um, so, just, and also the song selection mm-hmm. as well. Um, I, I really, I was trying to think, what songs did they sing and why did I like them so much? But there was just something about the the arrangement, the personality, and it just like to my ear at the time, like what was very aesthetically cool, what I thought, could I see myself in that group? Is yeah. that, you know, is that something that I'd like to do? Um, even just like down to the outfits, because the, the widows always were black, you know, because mm-hmm. they're widows. Yeah. Um, <laughs> kind of gimmicky but also kind of intriguing and well, cool ident- it gives them a bit more of an identity definitely 
that's so cool. So, you know, I just, I think the blue notes were, weren't bad. I just didn't find that they had a strong, of a, a, a kind of a powerful presence. And so mm-hmm. I just, those other two just kind of seemed to be more on point, as you yeah. say. Absolutely. No, for sure. Um. (laughs) And um, I remember I didn't know what to do or what to sing. And I kind of pulled, I had had a lot of piano music because I, you know, played a lot of pop piano. Mm -hmm. And so I had a Beatles, um, I had a Beatles book. And I think I just said, well, I'm just going to sing Let It Be. (laughs) (laughs) And so... Um, I walk. I, both auditions were kind of around the same time, and they're both in the music building at Wellesley. And so I went to the first audition. I think I did was the Tupelos, and I sat there. And I remember this girl was sitting in the uh, waiting room with me, and she was like, "Oh yeah, um, there's only one spot, and I already know <laughs> I have it." And <laughs> oh god. Like, and um, and I was like, "Well, okay, well, you know, I'll go ahead and audition anyway." And they were very nice, and I auditioned, and it was fine. And then I went to the Widows audition, and. Um, I remember I just, you know, belted out, let it be. <laughs> and, um, and the, uh, the music director at the time, she was a music education major. I think her, she was a senior. Um, she's at the piano. She had me do, you know, triads and tonal memory and, um, you know, asked me a little bit about my singing history and I, I gave it to her and, and this and that. And, and I was on my way when I was like, fine, I'll just go back to my, my uh my room and mm-hmm. later later that night <laughs> two of them two of the widows showed up at my door Ooh. and um and i said i said hey and so we went and sat in the common room and they both now i know looking back i mean at this time i was 18 i didn't know anything you know and mm-hmm. you know, looking back i realized they were they had heard that I had auditioned for the Tupelos and they Ooh. wanted to make sure that I was going to go to the widow's callbacks. <laughs> gotcha. I, but they were interested in me, obviously. Um, and they were like, just kind of like selling themselves and like why the widows were so cool and the history and, you know, um, dressed to kill since 1949. <laughs> and, um, the oldest group, you know, in the northwest, in the northeast, and da da da. And some, one of them said to me, and I didn't even know what this meant at the time. And this is how fu- funny. This is funny now looking mm-hmm. back. She said to me something like, "Hope you're okay with, you know, a lot of us don't have vibrato like you do." Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't even realize that I had vibrato like when I belted or anything like that. I didn't realize that. So anyway, it was really funny. Um, and so I, I just kind of thought didn't think much of it but I thought it was interesting I thought oh they're doing this with everyone but mm-hmm. apparently they didn't <clears throat> and then yeah. so I went to the callbacks I did I did not get called back for the Tupelos because lo and behold they really did only have one spot open and it was for that one girl that was sitting <sighs> in the waiting room so I went to the callback for the widows and they taught us American Tune by Paul Simon yeah. which is kind of their signature song and of course I was singing the alto two part and there were three other girls that were at the callbacks and I, it was myself and a, a woman that had also been in the widows, but had left and then hmm. was coming back. And she was also auditioning for the alto two part. Awkward. And I was a little worried because I was thinking, well, of course they're going to take this woman that's already been in the group. So we did it. We did the callbacks and we sang American tune a few times through and learned my part and la la la. And then I went back home and I thought, Oh, well that's such a bust. I'm not going to get into that, you know, because mm-hmm. they're going to, use that other woman and so I I actually said I'm just gonna go to bed early so I got (laughs) ready for bed and lo and behold 
they come knocking at my door. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys do this. Do you guys do this when we, you get We work? never did. We do email and we uh, like, we didn't well, do anything this cool. Ours is like pitch perfect. You know, ours is like where, you know, they, they come and get you, they blindfold you and they, they take you, you know, out, out into the quad and then you sing the songs that you know and then they blindfold you and take you to like this clubhouse kind of thing and you do an initiation. Oh and boy. Yeah, it was like a for real thing and there was literally like acapella night, you know, where all of the groups were getting chosen and it was like a major thing on we campus. We didn't do anything like that even for Greek life, let alone acapella. Yeah. Wow, that's... Man, that's so, so cool, but scary. It was very exciting. Yeah, it was exciting. And I, of course, didn't get any sleep that night because it was just, you know, all yeah. night just hanging out with the girls and getting to know them and and um, being in the group. And then we started um, rehearsing. And and it was cool because almost immediately, so the, in, in the Northeast, and it's a little bit different from what I've witnessed here, um, mm-hmm. we right away went to invitationals. So we would... Uh, oh, wow. Almost maybe three weeks into my being a widow, we were going to Tufts and we were singing with the Beelzebubs and mm-hmm. then we were also singing with a couple of other groups from around. And then we had, we were invited to Harvard to sing with the Callbacks, which was mm-hmm. their mixed, mixed acapella group. And also the Baker's Dozen from mm-hmm. Yale were invited. And so we sang in their concert. And then, then we had our fall concert and we invited the Baker's Dozen to our fall concert. So we were never by ourselves. Like we, mm-hmm. we always were performing with other groups or they were, they were on our campus, we were on theirs. We went on an extensive winter tour basically or we went to um university of new hampshire and sang with the gents god we did some kind of competition where we sang with a bunch of different groups and i'm just thinking back like Mm -hmm. specifically and then you know we had our winter our spring concert where we had people come to our campus you know so like we would go to their campus they'd come to our campus so yeah it was super busy we never were not performing and we never were not performing with other groups that sounds Um, like a really exciting like just on its own a really exciting and really active experience because at least my uh, impression being in the ups um and i think this is more a little more um common on the northwest side there was a lot of downtime where we just didn't really know what our next gig was while east coast you're constantly doing stuff and that probably just makes it a better experience overall Absolutely. And it was cool to get to know the other groups and to, to see how they functioned. Um, it was also fun because all of us, we had to have skits. So Skits? Yeah. So our, our sets involved singing. And then we had little skits that we would do, like little funny vignette kind of oh like boy. sketches <laughs> that we would do. But all of the groups did this. We weren't... We huh. were, it was... So I was one, I was in one of the, I was in a couple of them actually, because I was a big ham at the time. And, um, and some of them were amazing and so funny and the whole audience would be just cracking up and then they'd go right into a song after that. And, um, kind of like a variety show sort of thing of, almost kind of the, yeah, kind of, huh. it was, it was super, yeah. Like one, one of the skits that I was in was about having found uh, some kind of rare anthropological find, you know, like having found and like, uh, you know, a, an old, an, yeah, like an old record and 
and and this person here has uh, like I was the person who spoke the ancient language, and so I made up all these sounds and this and that, and, and then it was interpreted by this very deadpan person who was like you know saying what I was saying. And, it sounds yeah. like Indiana Jones fan fiction. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Um, huh. Yeah, so that was cool, and we um, that was just kind of part of the show. For everyone because uh, i've never heard of anything like that i mean maybe just because i'm not as educated as i claim to be on acapella right. but like do they still do that i don't know i mean i haven't been there but it was just kind of like part of the 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 it was just the thing you know it's just everyone did that when we'd go to their concerts and they'd have little skits and then we'd go to our concerts and we had little ones we probably had like two or three per huh. concert and you'd use and, the same one like multiple times or? yeah and then we'd learn new ones and then you know change it up depending on who our audience was. That's so interesting, because yeah. I feel like the equivalent um, on camp- at both at UPS and just other campuses, it's just kind of like funny little banter between songs or like how you introduce a song or a member or something, but sure. never like a full on, like these are my lines sort of thing. Right, that- it was cool. And then um, it, at the time also, uh, so Deke Sharon had just graduated from the Beelzebubs mm-hmm. and, but he was still good friends with our music director. And so he gave her a couple of his brand new arrangements for the widows specifically. And one of them was one of my solos. I had two solos. So my, my first solo as I I did moon dance by Van Morrison, my second solo was a Deke Sharon arrangement of don't don't let the sun go down on me by Elton John. And, um, so that was, and then we also did a version, uh, they dance alone by sting we had that by him and then mm-hmm. we had um the sound of silence by uh simon yes. and garfunkel and it was what was what i remember being so cool specifically about the um i was the soloist in the other two songs so the one that i sang kind mm-hmm. of parts on was there was no soloist in the sound of silence instead he had each voice part kind of take a, a turn at the solo yeah Parts and then um, and then there's a lot of textural change, a lot of interesting, you know, use of the harmonies and like as an alto too, you're, you you kind of get used to just singing the bass line all the time. Yeah. In his arrangements, every voice part had a moment to really kind of shine, which was really, really cool. Oh, so he must have been like what, 24, 25, 23? No, I think he was probably like 22. Like, oh yeah. wow, yeah, like just right out of college. I think he had just graduated the year before I got there. Oh my gosh! I... Um, but he was amazing, and I, he. The reason I, um, Peter Gabriel has a song called you know Red Rain, and he mm-hmm. and it was out kind of at the time, and he um, or it was a little older at the, that time, and he. He did a fantastic arrangement of that for the the Beelzebubs, and it was it sounded it had all of the like mouth percussion and all of the like the atmospheric sounds of you know like there's rain so in the cool. track and all that stuff. Yeah, and it was just like wow, what are you doing? It's amazing. So he was totally legendary, and of course the Beelzebubs were also very legendary in the in the yeah. north in the northeast yeah but yeah it was it was totally cool and at, you know and we sang we sang all kinds of stuff we did you know like and vogue so we did kind of like you know uh, r&b and then mm-hmm. we did we also did a couple of more standards you know because we were based in the the early you know so we did like a, like graceable yeah. unison that but all, everything was pretty pop or yeah so did you ever get to like meet deke like one i mean like obviously my, but did you like get to know him talk to him one-on-one no. no no i i think he was at he was definitely at the party 
after mm-hmm. the invitational that we went to at Tufts, he was still in the area and he was there. I know he was there, but I don't, I mean, I was a freshman. I, you know, yeah, no, there's no sure. way he was going to talk to me, little freshman <laughs> from, from Texas, you know, like who's this person? So I was just kind of in awe of the whole college thing, you know, college, yeah. college party. And I, there's all these there. I'm in this group. And so I'm like at this thing and wow, this is intriguing. And, so, um, yeah, but he was there and he was, you know, in talking to a lot of, especially like the seniors and the widows and all that mm-hmm. stuff that they all knew him. But, um, but no, I, I never really got to like rub elbows with him, but no. he was in this, <laughs> I was in the presence of him. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh man, this like, so I, I can't remember when Pitch Perfect came out. I remember seeing that whole, uh, you know, you're talking about the culture and the ceremonies and all this stuff. I remember seeing that in the, in the movie and my friends were asking me like, do you do that? And I was like. I'm pretty sure that is all made up. None of that happens. No, Nothing's... it's real. And I had, I, my mind is being blown right now. That's like a thing. It's That's... for sure real. They gave me a, um, I remember they gave me a black bottle of champagne and it, they all wrote on it in gold pen. What? And, and oh I kept gosh. it and I kept it cause they were like, you know, it was, it had, it was all black and I kept it cause it was my like souvenir yeah. from the initiation and all that stuff. And it was cool. And also there was something else that happened. Oh, so when I first saw Pitch Perfect, I was listening to those arrangements and I was going and I said to my husband, I said, that sound, I'll bet you that Deke Sharon is involved in this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wasn't aware that he was still like going, like yeah. he was still doing stuff. Oh, yeah. And I and um, I was like, oh, man, that that's, those arrangements really sound like what I had, you know, what we yeah. were supposed to back when I was in The Widows and and stayed and you know watched the credits and i went no way he's yeah. totally all over all of this oh that's so cool all these yeah. connections it just sounded I, I just i i was just blown away i was like wow he is still going and just it's amazing oh, yeah, yeah. He's, and he's, he's like, the thing in acapella the thing yeah so oh, that's so awesome uh thank you for that huge like mm-hmm. i'm gonna go listen to this again even after i edit this and do all that because this is so interesting yeah. uh we're gonna take a quick little break here and we're gonna be right back right now we're gonna listen to a tune by the wellesley widows we're gonna be hearing marvelous things off their album unwed and we're gonna be right back here on Tacapella. You're listening to community-supported Acaville Radio, streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org. Acaville, your base for the lowdown on acapella. I woke the dawn, saw horses growing out the lawn.
and welcome back to Tacapella. Such a good radio voice. It makes sense. You're in communications. I had a radio uh, show at Wellesley, too. Wait, really? What was it called? Um, it was called Roll Your R's. It was an homage to Texas and all that oh, stuff. Oh, and, I thought you meant uh, like, uh, I can't even, I still can't roll my R's. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting closer to it, but not really. That's I think. good. No, it was, it was an eclectic radio show. I, um, I had a chance to, I interned one semester with the with the professor actually who had a radio show and then the second semester I got my own show and um, I actually had acapella shows you know where I had all the acapella tapes from oh my our, gosh our concerts <laughs> and other people I, you know I bought CDs and this and that and then I would just like play it and I would play them in, in interspersed with other things yeah and, yeah oh man that's so cool I think really ours is a better name than Tacapella, but it's still <laughs> that's so cool again yeah. very pitch perfecty she gets the yes. thing and man that must have been a little surreal yeah. watching that it was i did not i do not do arranging though like that no so. yeah oh so. so another thing that dr padula does that i got to like really understand and get a sense of at ups is basically being kind of the logistical mastermind just behind basically all the moving parts the stuff that you don't necessarily see in concerts that like in regards to scheduling like what group's going to be where and when the concerts are going to happen and as you know kind of not quote-unquote non-musical as that sounds that's huge to just like the success of a group and becoming a place on campus culture so i'll let uh, dr p do you want to just tell us like a quick little blurb about essentially your involvement with the groups on the university of puget sound campus sure well i i have sponsored what she said and timberman officially as their faculty sponsor yay um and I've always been the unofficial sponsor to Garden Level because most of my students are in the group or lead the group. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I've also helped sponsor as well um, Underground Sound. Little disclaimer, just Garden Level at UPS is the large center bass group. What she said is the large soprano alto group. We've had many members from that show on here. Uh, Timberman was my group. And then Underground Sound is the uh, smaller mixed group. Just right. disclaimer for all those other people. Exactly. Um, and so as the director of voice and vocal studies, um, I'm also aware that we've got a lot of music majors or a lot of singers mm-hmm. who are involved in choir and or opera and or musical theater group called Curtain Call and also the acapella groups and voice lessons. And so um, yeah. <laughs> we as a voice faculty, you know, we're always concerned with um, vocal fatigue for yeah. our yeah. our our students, and it's because it's a reality. You know, I mean, we we use our voice all day to communicate. We use our voice all day in class to participate. Mm-hmm. We use it to with our friends to be social. And then you're asked to sing in choir every day, to practice every day, and then you're all adding on top of that um, sometimes late night rehearsals for acapella groups and other things. And so we always just want to make sure that our students are understanding the dangers of, of you know, vocal overuse. Yeah. overuse. Um, and so anyway, long story short, as the sponsor of the acapella groups, it's kind of come to pass over the last couple of years where I am kind of the gateway for concert yeah. scheduling. And the reason that is, is because uh, we had issues in the past where the groups would schedule things and then no one would know about it and then lo and behold they would schedule it against something 
else going on in the school of music and even though the groups are student groups and they're not necessarily associated specifically with the school of music all of the participants are usually part of the school of music Mm -hmm. so we 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 don't want the school uh the acapella groups to be competing against school music events Um, and also we don't want the groups to get into a position where the members are having to rehearse uh, amp up rehearsals in preparation for performance and also then have to use their voices in a, in a choir concert that's also upcoming or in an yeah. opera that's also upcoming. Yep, so um, we try to make sure that the groups have a time to have their concerts in the middle of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so me being kind of the point person for that has helped with that in the, past, in the past years. Yeah. So what I'm wondering is, and, uh, I've mentioned this on previous podcast, on previous episodes of the show that uh, me trying to create a new group that was very helpful having you there to kind of be like, ooh, you should maybe talk to this person about joining. Oh, this is how this is the paperwork you go through. Blah 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 blah. Right. But um, what I'm wondering is just from kind of being in this position and getting to see groups come to you and for all this logistical stuff and also sometimes for musical stuff or for um, you know keeping track of everyone's voices, making sure no one's overdoing it and developing nodes, et cetera, et cetera. I'm wondering what you have seen. Um, first, we can talk logistical and then, um, what do you call it, uh, voice-wise. I'm wondering the trends you have seen or maybe pitfalls, that, but mainly the things you have seen that successful groups do at UPS. Because I know that everyone, like once or twice I dropped the ball on maybe messaging you for a date or something, or maybe another group did that, or we didn't communicate something clearly. And I'm wondering what you've seen um, what makes successful groups in this kind of logistical realm of acapella? Well, I always like it when the groups are kind of proactive mm-hmm. and, think, and really thinking ahead. So um, say, for example, it's like the first or second week of school and I get an email about, hey, when is our fall concert going to be? And I think, wow, thank you for prompting me mm-hmm. on that because you know I do have other things that I'm thinking about and it's great that the groups are taking responsibility for getting things rolling. Having a of, sense of agency. Yeah, having a, exactly. And, and also thinking way far in advance so that we have time to figure mm-hmm. things out. Um, and so then as soon as I get that email from that kind of one, one or two proactive leaders, then I, then I start the conversation with everyone and, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, and all the people that I need to talk to, uh, the concert hall manager, the person in charge of Kilworth tra- Chapel, mm-hmm. the, the schedule, um, our public events person. And we all get on the email train together and say, okay, now here are some possible dates for you all. Mm-hmm. Here are venues. And you all talk amongst yourselves and figure out who's going when and where. Yeah. Um, and that, I just, I really appreciate having that prompt instead of me having to think, oh, well, gee, it's October and we haven't scheduled the oh, October concert yet. <laughs> That's you know? scary. No, absolutely. And I think that that was something I had to learn. Luckily, I think I kind of learned that by the time Timberman started up. But I think it's really easy for, I mean, the fact is these are student-led groups. They're led by your peers. They're led by people who maybe haven't held a job before, know how to send a business email or something, stuff like that. Those are just examples. But uh, I think sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in musically trying to just or um yeah musically trying to keep the group together and going that if you don't have someone like 
our version of a point person, um, like a president or, or a social chair or like a secretary, whatever you want to call it, if you don't have someone like really on top of the logistical stuff on your end, then it's you're going to get the short end of the straw. You're going to get a concert date that maybe conflicts with something or not conflicts, but like is not the best for you. And it's so it, it's so, so easy to not think about that stuff because when you're in vocal groups as a student uh, like when i've been in vocal groups or my peers have been in vocal groups you know i we just get the concert date handed to us they're like okay october 1st is the concert for right. the adelphians and so we're kind of um used to that so right. you really have to kind of break one you have to kind of break out of that mold and like like i said urgency and agency and also you gotta go and talk to people and you kind of have to put yourself on that level of figuring out calendar dates and right. which is so I think is really far from people's minds when they're just trying to keep a group together musically or even just like actually having rehearsals and that sense of professionalism is I think you know dotting the i's crossing the t's is that sense of professionalism is so invaluable to like the infinite extent and it's right. so so easy to drop the ball on that and i've seen it done and it's scary and there's nothing really you can do like once that window of and that doesn't just apply to scheduling concert dates and in regards to getting audition like rooms for auditions or right. um maybe community or... yeah mm -hmm. oh god yeah. um community performances stuff like that communicating with your members and i found the groups um not on our campus but at other campuses and just people i've talked to the groups that maybe struggle just to kind of stay together are the ones that or even just like, you know, staying a group are definitely the ones who um, aren't on top of that um, quote unquote official stuff as much because yeah. there's always this sense, I think, of when you're in a group that's led by your peers that it could kind of fall apart at any second because mm -hmm. it's, it's not a class that you're going to have next semester. It's not in a school system or yep. there's not an enrolling thing. So I think kind of having to act like a teacher and put yourself in a teacher's shoes and not just run rehearsals, but run an organization is like infinitely important. I've said infinitely a lot, but it's, I can't stress that enough. No, and, it's very true. It's, you know, it's, if you're going to be using, um, campus facilities, if you're going to be on a calendar, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there are so many moving parts there. There are so many people that are involved in that. And you have to think about, um, you have to think about audiences, mm -hmm. you know, you have to think about, um, I'm kind of going a little bit on a tangent, but basically in the fall, we've kind of established this kind of group, uh, concert. And the reason that I, I, um, I suggested that a few years ago was because it was kind of born from my experience at the widows that we never sang by ourselves. Mm -hmm. We never gave a solo concert. We always had other groups because, you know, it allowed us to rest and it allowed the audience to have a little bit of textural variety, a personnel yeah. variety, this and that, and made for a better show for the audience. Um, and it's, and we've, we've, we've created this tradition of the fall concert being in a nice, big, huge, like acapella extravaganza. And it's really yeah. cool. In the spring, though, the, you know, the groups seem to always want their own concert. And I, and I have uh, pushed, first of all, to have four groups and to have four separate nights of four separate acapella concerts in the midst of a very, very busy spring semester on campus. Recitals. Where, oh, not, not just music events, but oh, yeah. you know, theater events and dance events and cultural events and this and that. I mean, 
adding four specific nights dedicated to acapella concerts, I think is asking a lot of the campus yep. audience. And so I um, have been successful in the last two years to double up on nights for mm-hmm. uh, the groups. You know, like, for example, one night, you know, well, actually, this past spring, we had what she said and Garden Little actually gave a joint concert, which I thought was great. Um, Underground Sound wanted their own, and I think uh, Timberman had, had their own mm-hmm. in their own venue, and it's fine. And that wound up being three nights instead of four. Which but is a I, huge difference. Yeah, but my idea is that, you know, and what we did two years ago was have uh, one, one on one hour, the other on the other hour, one mm-hmm. on one hour, and it was two nights. And I think that's just, that's just thinking outside of the box, thinking about how much acapella do we need in one concert season, you yeah. know? Um, think about, you know, like, are you then going to be competing against other, the other groups? You know, like, well, other people are, people are going to go see that group only and not this yeah. group and that group. And so long story short, it's just thinking about, um, that your group is important, very important, but it's also a part of the larger picture. Mm-hmm. And so, Coexistence, I, yeah. yeah. And so my job kind of is to point that out and try to make that, uh, that reality kind of clear and then try to also facilitate so that everyone gets what they want. You get the mm-hmm. time, you get the concert, you get the venue, uh, but can we consolidate things so that uh, we're not putting, we're not taxing the campus community? Yeah, there's only so many acapella concerts people can sit through. I get tired of them all the same right. times. Because I, I think it's really easy for, especially I think I have a decent example of this, having created a group, it's really easy to see groups to see themselves as an invaluable commodity to the campus community. And yes, their acapella groups are great. I, we wouldn't be doing this and I wouldn't be here if I didn't like acapella groups, but it's really easy to not recognize uh, audience limitation and taste mm-hmm. and to not want to kind of even things out essentially. And you have to recognize one, your audience, and that's partially just getting to know the campus community, but also recognizing that you don't want people there who don't want to be there. or You don't want them to be tired of you, exactly. essentially. And I think we were talking about that framework of two a night or something. So it's like, okay, we have like maybe both groups do a 45-minute 45, 45 sets and they're back-to-back or whatever. It's, I think a lot of groups, it's really, and I, I thought this originally and then I looked at it and I'm like, oh, it's really easy. I think a lot of groups would see that as like, well, we're just getting less time and less us and it's not as good, but it benefits the acapella whole. And this goes for any campus especially and we are sm- we had a small campus like 2600 students right. so um at bigger campuses that's a, a totally different ball game but even in that regard it's just really easy to overdo it and become an unpopular or just not maybe a very well liked part of campus culture if you hit the audience over the head over and over so right. i think um this idea of joint concerts are just changing up the formula somehow um one makes it easier on the professors of course but then it also just makes it easier on on your audience because you want the audience to like you as obviously as simple as that sounds right and even as in a logistical way as far as fatigue is concerned you know for one group to put together an hour-long concert of singing that's a lot of lit it's a lot so much yeah and that's you know and you're thinking okay well in order to rehearse for and put together that much lit um how much how much how many extra rehearsals are you guys going to be having and how much time are you going to be spending on that music noting that you're also singing a choir concert and you're also putting together a recital and you're also in the opera uh, opera and or musical i mean Mm -hmm. that's just a lot on anyone's personal 
um, vocal plate. Yeah. So um, again, just thinking about like not only just the fatigue of the campus community and the the acapella groups and how they fit within the whole, but then thinking about just the even that the acapella group isn't the only thing that a lot of those members are doing vocally. That's why I always liked, I didn't have this luxury, but um, having, I always preferred to have my like recital or like the opera before the concerts, before the acapella concerts. Mm -hmm. So then I could like, quote unquote, do the stuff that I needed to be like dead on, like proper vocally, posture technique, all that stuff. And then maybe, I think you can kind of get away with being a little more vocally tired in acapella concert. Not as much. It's going to really come through when it's, you know, full on clean technique. And maybe there's something not quite connecting or quite being as good. And that's actually going to be what we talk about when we come back. We're going to take one more quick break here and we're going to listen to uh the beelzebubs which we talked about a lot um singing tim shull and we're going to be right back here on tacapella you're listening to community supported acaville radio streaming acapella around the clock at acaville.org acaville where vocal music is our forte Sight. 
back here on Tacapella. We're going to talk about one more topic, one more Tacapella topic, and that is the one that I think Dr. Padula is most qualified of anyone in the world to talk about, and that is vocal pedagogy. That is how to sing well. Like, what is good singing? Mm-hmm. And I've again, I've talked about this on other episodes, but I think it's really easy for people to draw acapella people and classical people, if we can divide them into those two groups, to draw a line in the sand between themselves on both ends and say, and view the other in a negative light and view the technique styles as completely different. And I think that is one not, well, I mean, yeah, it's true in terms of repertoire and technique, but it's, it's I think, really um, blinding and not uh, seeing the whole picture if you don't recognize the crossover and the benefits that both sides give each other. And I know that whenever I had like a solo in an acapella song, I'd always bring it to Dr. Padula and like be like, okay, how do I sing this pop uh, song correctly so and it always sounded better than when I um, tried to just do it on my own because I'd end up over class classicalifying it essentially and I've seen people who they they don't do any classical stuff and that's fine if they don't do that but they'll just kind of go out there and they really kind of say this is my style not classical I'm really just full-on pop and they shred their voices and I know people who don't really have a voice who sang like that so um, dr. P I'd love to just hear like, your thoughts and observations on this this kind of divide and maybe even get a little into the pedagogy of the whole thing of classical versus pop and how that specifically relates to the world of acapella well um you know the the voice world is continually um evolving because the more that we know about the actual ins and outs of the anatomy and physiology the more we can speak um authoritatively about technique. Mm-hmm. Um, in the past couple of years, there's been uh, in various vocal circles like the Voice Foundation, um, the New York Singing Teachers Association, NATS, um, there's been a, rec- a recognition that um, there is there needs to be and there is a pedagogy behind contemporary commercial singing. Mm-hmm. And it's called CCM. Ooh. Um, and this- yeah, I'm writing and, that down. And in fact, there are some schools that have um, programs in mm-hmm. pop and commercial, um, like Shenandoah University is one. Um, and they are, they, in a lot of schools and a lot of teachers who, uh, you know, attend conferences, um, read the journals, um, go to the workshops, we are all aware that of the benefits of what we call cross training. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically it is training classically um, for foundation and building a voice um, and for uh, muscle isolation and mm-hmm. even just building up the musculature involved in, um, in, in having like the voice develop correctly mm-hmm. and having control over it. And then there's also a great benefit to um, training commercially as well. So training pop style, music mm-hmm. style as well, which usually uses a very different, um, a very uh, kind of, it depends on who you are, you know, and mm-hmm. it depends on if you're a soprano or alto or a tenor or a bass. Um, but sometimes it's, 
it, it's it's kind of like an opposite feeling yeah as far as vocal technique is concerned and so being able to kind of go back and forth and cross train so for, for example if you have a soprano and you know you're going to train her um to to be ta dominant what that means is uh singing chest voice primarily but singing it in chest voice in a way that it's not pulling or yanking or it's mm. not um it's not causing any kind of strain but also allowing that that uh, belt technique to go up higher than it would normally in classical voice and then and then turning around and training the head voice the same area of the voice but in head voice mm-hmm. um is something that we are starting to do a lot more in the studios um and it is becoming very very beneficial for it it, all, it amps up the classical voice as well as the the contemporary voice as well so yeah, yeah. I'm how um, I'm curious. How does it? How does doing cross training? How does that improve the classical voice? What does it uh, do exactly? Well, interestingly enough, um, you know, we have two muscles that are. I mean, this is like quick, down and dirty vocal pedagogy. Um, but we mm-hmm. have, you know, we have two muscles that are uh, kind of in balancing with each other mm-hmm. through through the vocal range. We have the the TA, which is the thyroid which is the more of the chest voice muscle. And then we have the CT, which is more of the head voice muscle for the higher pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, women are generally in classical singing CT dominant because most of their vocal range is in head voice, whereas men are typically TA dominant, which means that most of their classical range is in chest voice. And then they go through a, a passaggio, which then mixes a little bit of CT in there. And then, you know, mm-hmm. the, the CT starts to take over. Um, and so, uh, Basically, the uh, training the the TA in in women helps to uh, with volume and amplification. Um, also with power, with getting more power in the voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and training the CT in men, uh, and also you know in, in conjunction with the TA, just helps the voice in general develop. Um, and also, there's a lot more uh, of control, basically, over the over the instrument. Oh, that's so cool. So, yeah. Is there a similar um, parallel in training tenor bass voices in that way? Yeah, I, you know, um, I, I will say that it's it's kind of an easier road for tenors and bassists to to flip over into um, into CCM just because. Uh, taking that where chest voice would end for them up a little bit into where the pop high notes would be mm-hmm. is not as far of a stretch mm-hmm. as it is for where, you know, like say for example, if a, um, a, a soprano normally switches into chest voice, uh, like around a, let's just say for example, like a D four, mm-hmm. um, if we're going to ask, if we're going to ask that soprano to belt all the way up, to a D5, mm-hmm. well, there's going to be some kind of training that's needed in order to get that chest voice to go up that much farther. Versus, so say, for example, you've got a, a tenor who who usually, uh, you know, needs to, f- to flip over into passaggio like around F sharp, you know, F sharp um, four, then he's going to, if, if you want to, if you, if you want that tenor to sing an A flat, you know, just like a couple of semitones above that, in chest voice, that's not as far of a stretch. You yeah. See what I'm and in terms of like remembering what I, I mean, my issue when I tried doing, um, when I really started getting into acapella was that I was way too much vibrato. I couldn't, I couldn't sing 
anything other than classical. And you can hear that in um, early recordings of me singing. And what I had to do, what you taught me to do, was making it a lot more speaky. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, a lot more kind of forward, not nasal, but just less trying not to get it. Um, right. Uh, I don't want to say less ringy because you want the you want if, instead of, I, I guess in when if I had to assign words to it I would say like classical I would say more like ring and with pop I would say like ping I feel like there's a buzz and um, so uh, if I I'll help you there it's yeah, a, please. For, for classical it's more of a a, um, a loft and you're trying mm-hmm. to elongate the vocal tract um, mm-hmm. and that's because you're using the vocal tract as the resonator mm-hmm. um, versus when you are singing in pop technique where you're, it's amplified externally, mm-hmm. right? So you're using a microphone yeah. and you're trying to shorten the vocal tract so that you're amping, you're actually, by shortening the vocal tract, you are, um, you are emphasizing in the higher partials. So it has a kind of a brassier yeah. sound versus it has more of a loftier and a, a warmer yet still ringy sound in classical techniques. So we're talking about amplifiers, you like yeah. internal amplifier versus external amplifier. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the main difference. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's so important for people to understand that these things are super beneficial. And I hope all those listening, you know, don't think taking voice lessons is going to make it so you can't get into an acapella group. Cross training is a thing and it's awesome. And I'm going to go Google the heck out of it after this. <laughs> Because it sounds so cool. That's uh, pretty much all the time we have today. We have that short little vocal ped lesson at the end. Um, take a vocal pedagogy class, people. It's really, really fun. Uh, Dr. Padula, thank you so much for coming on the show. We had three very broad topics that I think um, will help a lot of people and will give a lot of insight. So thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. You are welcome. So everyone, that is it for Tacapella episode 12. Remember, we are on every... Uh, new episodes are every Tuesday at five o'clock and then we re-air on Saturdays as well and we're actually going to play out the episode with a tune by a group Dr. Padula likes which is Home Free season four champions of the sing-off this is Wake Me Up Dr. Padula thank you again so much for coming on it was so great to have someone of your caliber and musicianship and professionalism on this kind of program. So again, thank you so much. And I'm sure all the viewers, thank you too. Uh, remember everyone, if you want to get a hold of me, you can tweet me at John Lampus. If you want to get a hold of the station, our email and all that contact info is on our site at ocaville.org. You can also email the station themselves. If you're interested in the University of Puget Sound, just check it out. Go on our site, come schedule a campus visit because it is a great program where you can learn a lot about the voice and you'll get good at what you do, essentially like breaking it down. So thanks a ton for listening to Tacapella here on Ockerville Radio and let's end the hour with Wake Me Up by Home Free. Feeling my way through the darkness Guided by a beaten heart I can't tell where the journey went but I know where to start they Tell me I'm too young to understand they Say I'm caught up in a dream Life will pass me by if I don't open up my eyes Well that's fine by me So wake me up when it's all over When I'm wiser and I'm older All this time I was finding myself tonight
in the weight of the world But I only had two hands Hope I get the chance to travel the world But I don't have any plans Wishing I could stay forever this young Not afraid to close my eyes Life's a game made for everyone And love is a prize So wake me up when it's all over When I'm wiser and I'm older All this time I was finding myself And I didn't know I was lost So wake me up when it's all over Didn't know I was lost